And welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Todd Benzman, a writing fellow here at the Middle East Forum and a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. Join us to discuss drawing lessons from Europe's experience with jihadi border infiltration. Mr. Benzman will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Todd Benzman. Okay, well, thank you for having me. I've attended quite a few of these on, on my own, but I haven't, I haven't been a host or a subject of, um, of a webinar yet, but um, very happy to do so. Uh, a couple of, uh, about a year and a half ago, people may remember Donald Trump, the uh, sitting president, raised a specter for the very first time that terrorists could come with the migrant caravans, uh, either in it or along the same routes, over the southwest border. Uh, this, this was probably about three months worth of tweets and uh, uh, assertions and, and counter assertions that were met by tremendous blowback from the punditocracy, I guess for a better word, that really just sort of mocked this whole idea that terrorists or jihadists uh, would or could ever come over land borders because after all, uh, terrorists, jihadists, uh, historically have come in, you know, at the airports with visas, student visas, different kinds of visa fraud uh, flying into U.S. airports. But here you had a sitting president who was claiming for the very first time that jihadists were actually coming over the uh, southern border, that Middle Easterners were camouflaging uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a tactic that, that had been largely theoretical. Uh, the blowback was tremendous. Uh, it was on all the news, you know, 24-7 for days and weeks and that sort of thing. Um, eventually, the president gave up on this idea and moved on, I guess, to uh, greener pastures, and the whole issue was left sort of unresolved. Um, he never was able to offer the proof that was demanded that this was a real tactic and that it had been happening. But at that very moment, 2018, or late 2018, 2019, that very tactic of terrorist border infiltration, uh, jihadists crossing land borders, posing as refugees, posing as migrants, um, victims of war and persecution and terrorist organizations, were actually crossing, had been crossing the European Union external border for four years and conducting strings of attacks from one end of the continent to the other. Uh, this, this was a, uh, I wanna say, something on the order of, of kind of an industrialized, uh, comparatively industrialized assembly line uh, tactic, use of a, of a tactic that had never been used before, where jihadists were coming over on migrant boats, hiring smugglers, uh, working the land borders, crossing through, applying for asylum. Uh, the most, I guess, notorious of these would be the uh, 2015, November 2015 attack on Paris 
and then the March 2016 attack on Brussels. Those were conducted by uh, ISIS operatives who had been purposefully sent to into Europe, camouflaged among the migrants at that time. Uh, hundreds of thousands in a crisis were moving toward Europe from different war zones. Uh, and and um, also from the uh, starting in about 2012, 2013, from the Arab Spring uh, countries. Uh, what, what happened though was when you had that number of migrants on the move uh, by land and sea, uh, this was seen as an opportunity to slip in European citizens who were already on the radar, or some of them convicted in absentia, uh, couldn't just fly home like normally because they'd been fighting with ISIS. Uh, ISIS had a external operations division that put together teams to infiltrate over the borders uh, with the migrants. And it was a team of about 27 that conducted the Paris and Brussels attacks but there were a great many more of these kind of attacks and plots continuing to the present day as a result of this brand new tactic. Nobody really studied or acknowledged that this was happening, that this was a, a brand new terror travel tactic on the, on the world stage. It, it, there were some isolated voices here and there. Nobody had really studied it in 20, 18, 2019, I embarked on a, on a uh, about a six month, uh, I would call it a descriptive study, a content analysis of European media, US media, government reports, whatever I could get my hands on in the open realm and tried to get a sense of how um, extensive this, this was. And so from this point, I'll just tell you the story by the numbers. Uh, so we don't have a whole lot of time, but, but in my study, which looked at just the period from 2014 to 2018, I counted 104 migrant terrorists who had uh, entered Europe uh, over the borders with the migrants, camouflaged among the migrants. These 104, and by the way, that is an undercount because of uh, certain criteria that I set for myself. There are probably quite a few more. Uh, were responsible for 28 successful attacks in 11 European countries, EU countries. Um, those resulted in body count, so you actually had uh, wounded and killed. In addition, there were 37 others who were arrested or killed for plotting attacks, so they got to them in time, they thwarted. Uh, there were 39 others arrested for past terrorist involvement, uh, this would be people who had come in uh, in much the way that Nazi uh, war criminals after World War II went to Argentina and other countries uh, to hide out. Uh, these would be um, mass murderers and slavers and uh, people that had worked in ISIS, had done ethnic cleansings and um, you know, mass atrocities, terrible things, and also were just fighters for ISIS who were trying to hide their their immediate past were also uh, infiltrated into uh, the European Union. Um, of note, 22 of these uh, jihadists were arrested while they were still in migrant shelters in police raids. Another 40, uh, by my count, 
uh, between just those years were purposefully deployed by ISIS into the migrant uh, caravans. Uh, those um, don't include lone offenders who were maybe controlled by uh, remote control. You know, they had a handler back in Syria or Iraq telling them what to do, how to build their bombs and what to do. The average age was about 26. The youngest was 16, the oldest was 65, uh, but the average were they were in their 20s, so they're young, young uh, men of military age, just like you would expect. I would note that since 2018, these uh, attacks by migrants who had come in over the border have continued uh, with, with almost no let up. Uh, the, the Paris and Brussels attacks, and there were some other ones that were notorious and gained a lot of international attention, but the vast majority of these uh, would be, you know, five or six attack, uh, five or six uh, uh, casualties, two or three at a time, uh, a couple of dead college students, a couple of Americans at a train station, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but they count as, as jihadist attacks. The, um, just to give you another quick idea of um, uh, how this has this phenomenon continues to the present day, just in April, uh, Majid Abdel Bari, who is one of the most wanted terrorists in Europe, crossed by a wooden boat from Algeria to Spain as a migrant, posing as a um, uh, persecuted immigrant. Uh, they caught him in Spain, luckily about four or five days later. In Germany, uh, in, in also in April, there was an arrest of five Tajikis who had uh, plotted to attack two U.S. air bases in Germany. Uh, they had gotten as far as stockpiling firearms and ammunition and explosives and precursors for explosives. Uh, when they were caught, all of them came in overland, applied for asylum. Uh, in April, there was a Sudanese uh, asylum seeker in the south of France, killed two and wounded five in a, a knife slashing uh, incident. Uh, they, they arrested him and he's uh, standing trial. So these, these attacks have, have continued. The tactics that they used involved using uh, smugglers to move long distances from as far as Afghanistan and Somalia um, by boat, by, by um, bus, by vehicle. Uh, all of the usual, it's long haul smuggling. Uh, so I think that we can say, we can safely say that, that, that there are probably 150 now uh, confirmed. That number will continue to grow. We still have a lot of migrants coming in by the, uh, you know, 140,000 last year from Muslim majority countries. Uh, it's a higher risk kind of a, of a country, uh, a region. Um, and, and you're just going to have a, a continuation of uh, plot, plotters and attackers, unfortunately, in Europe uh, by this tactic, okay? I'll switch because I know I'm, I'm uh, running out a little bit out of uh, time, but uh, in the United States, uh, as I mentioned, in 2018-2019, when uh, the president had the perfect opportunity to mention that this was actually happening, border infiltration by jihadists uh, to, into allied countries. Uh, nobody really has paid attention to this. Uh, there, there are some Homeland Security people that, that are aware of what happened. Uh, but 
But the way that this would apply to the United States, certainly we're not gonna have those great numbers, but there are very well established, entrenched uh, smuggling organizations and routes that involve uh, moving people from the very same countries, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Somalia, and 30 other countries that are uh, Muslim majority countries where terrorist organizations operate. Typically they uh, will have to fly to South America. They do that on a routine basis. Anywhere by my count of uh, 3,000 to 4,000 a year cross the southern border, actually reach the southern border from those countries. Um, so they, they, they certainly have the capability. Uh, there are some key differences, of course. The distances are longer, the expenses are higher. That keeps those numbers down. Uh, the United States after 9-11 actually uh, rolled out programs to counter that traffic and try to uh, interdict and vet the people that were caught so that they could uh, undergo some level of security vetting both on the way through Central America and South America and once they were apprehended at the border. Um, I credit these programs with uh, limiting the number of attacks uh, to, to zero here, although we did have one Somali who crossed into California and went up and went up into Canada and conducted a double vehicle ramming attack, carrying an ISIS flag in 2017. Um, we continue to see uh, people who are on terror watch list uh, reach the border. Uh, there are programs that are in place that deal with those people. I credit those programs with uh, zero attacks so far in the United States. But certainly what happened in Europe is very much on the minds of uh, Homeland Security uh, professionals who saw what was happening there and realized that success breeds copycats. Uh, Europe has been a success from the terrorist standpoint. Uh, and, and it's um, all, always presumed in law enforcement and criminal intelligence that when you have that kind of success that others will follow. Uh, so I think that, that um, we have circumstances now that uh, give rise to a higher heightened vigilance, a uh, requirement for a higher vigilance about this issue, but fingers crossed. I think I'm probably at my 10 minutes, maybe, maybe even more, uh, so I can stand down and happy to take any questions that come up. Wonderful, thank you so much for that. The first question we have is, which European countries have been most vulnerable to this kind of infiltration? Sure, it, it seems to go by um, the volume of refugees that any particular country allowed in equaled a threat risk. So Germany by far allowed in the most jihadists, Germany has had the greatest number of attacks and plots of all the European countries. Uh, France, Belgium have also had uh, their share, but by far uh, Germany, which took in well over a million migrants from these Muslim majority countries, very often um, 
come unvetted because there were so many uh, coming at all at once that it just sort of overwhelmed all of their intelligence systems and even just their asylum processing systems. And so they were in on international protection visas, uh, which allowed them to embed and plot uh, in, all over Germany, and, and they really have. Uh, we just had these Tajikis uh, arrested a couple of months ago, uh, came pretty close to attacking some American soldiers on base. Thank you. So why wasn't the southern border infiltration taken seriously? I know that I've, I've seen, I'm a history channel buff, but I've seen like the tunnels from the cartels transporting guns and ammunition and um, drugs. Why wouldn't terrorists use these? Well, for a long time after 9-11, it, it was fairly easy to game the visa processes and just fly in. So you had, for example, the San Bernardino uh, attack involved a woman who had who had been brought in on a um, what they call a fiance visa, a K visa, and of course, as soon as that happened, they sewed that up. Uh, the all of the 9/11 hijackers, of course, we know now that uh, they all came in on different kinds of visas and different kinds of um, they came in in different ways, and we've had refugees who have been resettled. So I think that Homeland Security enterprise project after 9-11 in the first years after 9-11 really did take the border extremely seriously. The, the border was seen as porous and, and an obvious choice for migrants uh, with a jihadist intent to cross over. Programs were laid out. We, you know, boosted uh, our numbers of border patrol and surveillance systems and technology. And we, we did a lot uh, to, to uh, bolster that. But over time, as none materialized or very few publicly materialized, there were quite a few that happened in the classified realm that never did become public. Those are the ones that Donald Trump read about clearly and saw. There, there is a volume of material that is classified. Uh, but but it just didn't happen. And over time, there were a few false alarms where, you know, certain congressmen, certain media organizations came out and said, hey, there are terrorists coming. Uh, they're in camps in Juarez. And these turned out to not be true, which I think just sort of further denig denigrated the idea that this, that this was an actual threat vector. Uh, and over time, it just sort of lost its uh, gravitas. Uh, but then Europe happened, and um, you can't, can't really seriously uh, look at jihadist tactics any longer without realizing that there is something brand new in, in the world that has worked very effectively for them. Thank you. So what solutions do you propose for America in light of your study of Europe's borders? Well, there are a number of things. For, for, one, for one thing, we as a country, uh, our political leaders and our uh, media and our homeland security establishment on a, on a larger scale needs to first acknowledge and understand and accept and embrace that there is a brand new terror tactic 
that is particularly nefarious because it it really plays on um, you know our our most altruistic impulses as societies you know in germany you know it was angela merkel who was saying hey you know we're not the old germany anymore we are inclusive and tolerant and we're going to invite everybody in uh the same with the french uh same with uh finland and uh most of the the european union countries that were kind of had a left of center orientation at that time well we're in that spot as a united states and i think that we've allowed that lesson in europe to pass unnoted uh, so that's number one we have to recognize that this is a problem and then there are certain intelligence um, programs that need to be fixed uh, that need to be bolstered that need more uh, investment and to be taken seriously that this is just one more uh, you have drug trafficking and sex trafficking and all kinds of problems at the border. This is just another one, but it certainly belongs at the table for discussion and an investment. Um, um, I have a book that'll be coming out in February that goes into great detail about these programs that are already uh, in play down in Latin America. Uh, there are problems throughout our uh, infrastructure that we've built since 9-11 uh, that if we don't pay attention, uh, that they'll just die from benign neglect until somebody does something. Uh, but these have to do with um, vetting. I think if, if I were to just pin one uh, tail on the donkey, it would be that, you know, we have to know who these people are coming to the border. They show up from the Middle East with no identification and they just say, I'm Mickey Mouse and we let them in. So there's very little vetting that goes on and we need to know who's coming to the border. So a lot of what we need to do has to do with uh, security vetting for the people showing up. So along those lines, is there any one thing you would change in how vetting is currently done? Well, yeah, uh, you know, there, there's a, the Homeland Security investigations with ICE uh, currently is responsible for disrupting the uh, human smuggling, the long distance human smuggling organizations that, are, that, that make it possible for those journeys to happen. Uh, they're, they, they, they're basically the bridge over which uh, those migrants are still able to come by the thousands every year to the southern border. That bridge needs to be blown. Uh, the ICE uh, Homeland Security Investigations is doing a pretty good job. They're, they're breaking up these organizations, uh, but I don't think that they're breaking them up anywhere nearly as often as they need to or as effectively as they need to. Uh, Homeland Security Investigation needs significant investment. They need to, to not be diverted as often to some of their other uh, uh, portfolio uh, items. They have a lot to do, uh, but uh, maybe a little less and a little more of this. Unfortunately, it may take until the day after something happens before we seriously invest in in HSI in Latin America. They're there though, uh, and we're glad that they're there and doing a pretty good job right now. So overall, do you think Americans understand the gravity of the situation that Europe has put itself in? And will the Americans take timely steps to protect their own country? 
Not at all. I think that, um, that by and large, uh, the American public has no idea what happened in Europe. I don't think the Europeans have any idea what happened in Europe. You find very little literature, very little study uh, in, in Europe. No, nobody has really taken upon, uh, take, taken the, the, um, the load that's necessary to really get to the bottom of what happened in Europe and is still happening in Europe. And until we do as a country, like, you know, if the president of the United States didn't know to cite what had happened in Europe right when he was being challenged, uh, then, you know, you can pretty much assume that, that even the, the majority of the Republican Party doesn't know about this. And the Democrats just simply deny it and say that it's a, um, a hoax and none of it's really happening. It's some kind of a right, right wing a fringe kind of a thing, an idea, uh, but but in in Europe it's really changed their societies. Uh, these hundred, hundred and fifty, uh, maybe a couple hundred jihadists out of three million has just had long lasting consequences society wide throughout Europe, from England to uh, Spain and uh, Finland, all the way down to uh, Italy. Uh, really uh, consequential. I mean, you can go to Europe today and it looks like a war zone. There are green zones everywhere now where there used to be tourist uh, districts. Thank you. Well, it doesn't seem like the media is covering this uh, with enough gusto as it should. Can you give us a few sources that we can look into? Some of your writing? Sure. Uh, for one thing, uh, you can go to my organization, Center for Immigration Studies uh, website, which is cis.org. And if you look under my name, you can find uh, the study that I did on uh, jihadist border infiltration into Europe. It's one of the few out there. And um, just, just be aware that, uh, you know, time has marched on and there are um, uh, many more numbers uh, to count than I did in 2018. Uh, beyond that, there's a, 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 an academic, a terrorist academic named Sam J. Mullins, who actually did a great piece of work on this the same year that I did on jihadist infiltration, Sam uh, Mullins. Uh, you, you can find his book on uh, Amazon, and uh, he helped me a lot with my study. And uh, uh, beyond, beyond the two of us, I'm unaware of any other uh, substantial effort to quantify what happened in Europe. I guess we're still early or we're just in denial. Well, hopefully we'll get some more studies before it's too late. Um, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you so much again, Mr. Benzman, for speaking with us today. Uh, for all our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all again for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.